Hey Siri, subscribe to the Crisis Intervention Team podcast. Just to confirm, would you like to subscribe to the podcast Crisis Intervention Team? Sit minute. Ask a doc, ask a cop by Crisis Intervention Team Incorporated. Oh yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's me, Matt Tinney, and... Niels Rosenberg. I think my intro that was kind of sweet. scared Yeah, you. that did. I was trying to do my radio voice for you. So, as always, I'm going to answer some questions that get sent in. Sure, that's great. I like that. If you that. guys We're have any questions, questions, I know it's nice. If you guys have questions, please send them to ask at gocit.org. The first one is Jason P. from Minnesota. What happens... I'm going to try to wait. That's not right. What happens if you take medication for an illness... That you do not have. Well, that's a good question. So that's kind a, of a lot of things too. can happen. Yeah. I mean, First depending one, on what you're taking, yeah, you can you. It could be illegal what you're doing if you're. That taking, is true. I guess I should give a. You know, yeah, I should yeah. give a disclaimer on that. If you are taking any of the scheduled narcotics like opiates of any kind, and you're carrying that around, that's and not in a prescription bottle to you, and are on law enforcement side, that is a felony. Yeah. So if you're stopped with that, just FYI, <laughs> you could go to jail for that. Sorry, Niels. not as mine. I'm carrying it for my mom. Because I took this as a medical question, but that is true. What yeah. happens if you take medications for an illness that you don't have? There could be legal criminal stuff on that end. Yeah. That, so how does that work? If you stop somebody and they had a, a whole bunch of Oxycontin and they say, oh, it's my brother's. Is there anything you can actually do? They go to jail. You arrest them for possession. Really? It's the same thing. Oh, I mean, they have to. It has to be in there. What if it's a bottle that's like their mom's name? You want to arrest them? Yeah, you? you would. No, you would. Yes, you can. Would you it's really? a felony. So wait, that's I pick like, up my prescriptions for my elderly mom. I'm okay. on the way home. You pull me over. And you're like, okay. those aren't yours. That's not in your pocket. That is okay. in like a sealed bag from okay. the pharmacist. You uh, have like medication. That's but if a I take different. them out to look, maybe just take. But one. you still, have, <laughs> you still have it. That's like saying like. So you pull me over. I have a bag of meth. I just—it's not mine. It's my brother's. Believe me, this is my mother's meth. No, but you're we saying the any reasonable do- cop would arrest on that. Like, yes, you've it's a felony. Me. Wow, I had no mm. idea. But you got to realize, it's not okay. like you pull someone over and it's a full bottle that's a brand new label on it, uh-huh. things like that that you would get from a pharmacy. Yeah, that it's not how it is. It's but like how would faded you even know labels. it's illegal? What if they said, "Oh, those are just sugar pills"? You you have to test them. But you can detain somebody as you test it? Yeah. Wow. How long does it take to test it? A couple minutes, maybe. You crush one up, you put it in a tester kit and break it. You guys have those in your cars? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. We'd I'll stop d- carrying around those, all those opiates. You probably should. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to stop this podcast. I need should to I stop get, let me selling see them to people, Let too? me see your hands. <laughs> like, people just come up to me. I've been making... It's where I get all my Such lunch money business. from. Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's yeah. a little scary. Okay. But how often are you carrying around narcotics in never. your pocket? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's never. why. People just don't do that. Huh. Interesting. I, I mean, mean you, people carry it around if it's prescribed to them. Right. But you're saying they have to have – what if they take their Ativan or right. Xanax and they put it in one of those little carrying cases? Right. That's where it gets tricky. And so what What do you do? I mean, if you believe the person, you can try to get a hold of their, their doctor or, or a pharmacy that has it and see. Wow. If not – you arrest grandma. Yeah, grandma's going to jail. No. Yeah, you she can really meet new people. There's a difference. She I mean, come on. People. She's looking for some friends. She's doing <laughs> outreach. She could learn a new 
knitting skill over there. Who knows what? Wow, okay. It's situational. Should I opinion. warn my patients that I prescribe these things to? Actually, yes, you probably wow. should. Always like, keep the prescription nearby. Yeah, hey, you know, I know that this is, you know, if it's every four hours or something, you know, I wouldn't put one in your pocket and just leave. If you're going somewhere, make sure you always have a prescription with you or wow. the printout from the pharmacy. Wow. Okay. I would. Do you often prescribe to criminals? Then they probably well, shouldn't come in contact with law enforcement. The <laughs> it's not like we're like, hi, Grandma, how are you? Let's do a pat down. What's this I see? It doesn't happen. Yeah. You stop someone for some previous criminal behavior. But you could pull them over or something, and then you see a bag of pills. <laughs> yeah. I would advise your patients. Yeah. Please don't have a or bag a pill of pills. box you might see. Right. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? Okay, so, so that's very interesting. Yeah, so what happens if you take medication for an illness that you do not have? Okay, other than the legal consequences. Right. Um, Which you get to visit grandma's. <laughs> so a lot, uh, a lot of things can happen. I, we had a, uh, a chairman of psychiatry long before I was there who would take all the medicines. Like a new what? antipsychotic would come out and he'd be like, oh, I'll try this, see what it's like. You know, which is kind of cool, but it's also crazy. Right. But then he really knows how they affect you. Yeah, and I so, guess it would help with empathy or understanding. So if one was psychotic and I gave them Haldol, they'll probably get tired. They might get side effects, but their thinking might get a little bit more organized. Okay. Um, they may not hear voices quite as loud. They might Their, their psychotic symptoms might right. get better. But if you're not psychotic... Yeah, like, like what if I was it's not going to make you super focused and smart? It's just going to do nothing slower? for that. It'll make you feel really tired, probably. Well, sleepy. I feel like how don't they sometimes give that in the ERs if someone's agitated? They used to give it regularly for um, morning sickness because it helps people not be nauseous. I would have never guessed yeah, that. Yeah, and they stopped that when uh, thalidomide came out and. I thought formaldehyde was or thalidomide was causing all kinds of birth defects. Yes, and once that came out, they really just you know how I know doctors that? went from prescribing things. Don't tell me. What? No, because that song, that song, thalidomide. It's like children have formaldehyde. It was an REM. <laughs> the end of the world as we know it. Really? They talk yeah. about thalidomide in there. That's the only reason I know that wow. children have formaldehyde or whatever. Yeah, they come out with like one arm and oh, that's so stuff. sad. But anyway, so. What happens is the easiest way to think of it is you're just likely to get side effects and not effects. Okay. And so with Haldol, you you don't have the illness, so you're not hearing voices. You're not disorganizing your thinking. Right. So there's nothing for it to fix. Um, But you will get sleepy. You will get um, sort of run down. You might feel foggy. You'll get all the side effects. Right. If you keep taking it, you might gain weight. but people abuse drug- these medicines, like Seroquel is a very popular antipsychotic that people use in prison to help them calm down or come off of meth and things like that. So they can, you'll get the things like that. It'll relax you. Okay. It'll calm right. you down, maybe make you sleepy. And that's true for most of the, the antipsychotics. You may also get akathisia, which can happen even with medicines for um, nausea. Some of them can give you akathisia where you just can't sit still and you, you feel restless so you'll get you'll get side effects yeah um what else can happen if you take medicines that are what about sure? if it's like lithium lithium you probably just get stomach aches diarrhea that kind of stuff you might feel flattened i don't know i've yeah. never prescribed it to anybody who doesn't have bipolar so what about I'm just at least thinking, i not knowing right that. so i'm thinking like 
I could see someone logically thinking, I don't have depression, but I just want to feel happier. Yeah. I just want to be just extreme happy and high. Would taking antidepressants make they you that They don't work that way. No. So you would just get side I effects? I mean, it's interesting because you can see the logic in that, and then, yeah. then we don't prescribe it to people with bipolar depression because we're afraid they're going to become manic. But that's people who are predisposed to mania. Right. So, um, no, I think the average person isn't going to feel better on like if you're already if your mood's already a seven out of ten and that's just how you live yeah. your life it's not going to make you higher and if it i i honestly right. I, I don't think those experiments have been done and i've never experimented on oh you're happy you want to be even happier <laughs> try this yeah, try this but who knows i i don't know exactly i don't but, think it would you do know anything. people abuse anxiety medication i think the side effects would be worse than the positive effects so you get diarrhea you might feel Right. fuzzy you might have nightmares all sorts of weird stuff can happen that's not going to make yeah. you happy i'm you sure people infinite, have yeah you know? <laughs> it's not gonna be like i'm so happy now i went from a seven to an eight but i can't have sex right yeah i'm sure people have tried it because yeah, sure. other if yeah. it did make you happier it would be abused. people would know yeah because i feel like anxiety meds are abused anxiety meds are abused because even if you don't have anxiety you get a reaction from them. yeah you feel mellow or chill yeah, right absolutely and it helps you sleep and that kind of stuff so if yeah. you were to take one of those without an illness you would get a reaction yeah oh absolutely so it's different for different medicines but it, so with something like anti-anxiety medicines what you'll feel is less anxious it's sort of like taking alcohol you'll feel less anxious you might feel a little disinhibited sorry, i didn't hear you did you Drink, say taking alcohol drinking alcohol what are you gonna do this week i'm gonna go take some alcohol now oh yeah. so doctor yeah so no so it would be similar to drinking alcohol right. benzodiazepines are very similar and that's why they're abused do they affect so, you quicker because why wouldn't you just go drink alcohol then uh i think they're not as kind of brutal and they're a little more specific for anxiety so what I mean brutal, like if you take a bunch of Xanax, you're going to probably just get really, really tired. So you get relaxed, 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 and you sort of pass out because you're tired. Uh, I mean, it, you take a lot to kill yourself. Right. Um, but with alcohol, it's just sort of more brutal. You can get the vomiting, the nausea, the, the, hangovers. The, the hangovers, the really bad discoordination, you know, but you all, and you get more euphoria with alcohol, too. So huh. you don't get as much with benzodiazepines. Would you recommend people just, if there's medication laying around, like, let's just take and see what happens? Gosh, when I did a rural rotation in our great state of New Mexico, um, you know, we, I was talking to a friend, and we went on visits, and there was a family that would come into the clinic. So this is a rural clinic. And you'd have to see the whole family, all four kids and the right. grandmother and grandfather and the, the parents and you know an uncle or something it was tons of them and this the this pharmacologist was awesome he would take up lots of time with each one and think about all their medicines and medical complications and side effects and everything and then he'd give them the prescription and then we did home visits and it turned out that they would just dump all their medicines in a bowl and kind of pick at them randomly really yeah and that's oh, what that's people so don't sad. take medicines like they're supposed to yeah i guess there's just yeah you probably just think if it's a pill, it's going to help you. Yeah. I guess there's just some ignorance Bad. towards medication. Yeah. But <laughs> but the thing I wanted to get to when we talked about in class the other day was benzodiazepines. The other great example is um, amphetamines. Right. So stimulants. So people take stimulants. They abuse stimulants quite a lot, especially students or people who need to stay awake. 
um, they don't make you super smart or super well focused. They just make you not sleepy. Right. Unless you have some ADHD symptoms and then they'll make you better focused and all that kind of stuff. Will it also increase your energy? Yeah, it could. So if you have ADHD, it'll help you focus and increase your energy. Well, actually it'll it'll sort of harness and diminish some of that energy. So you don't okay. have that constant go 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 go, go, go yeah, as if driven by an internal motor. It can right. sort of slow that down. Interesting. It's got that's what's called the paradoxical effect, which other people won't get. Yeah, I was asking Niels if if that was a diagnostic thing, like, oh, you think of ADHD, take these meds and let me know what your reactions are. Yeah. Well, because you were saying if you yeah. have ADHD, it helps you. Yeah. Because that was one of the things that was brought up as as a person saying, I was prescribed this, but I didn't have ADHD. All it did was help me focus. And Remember? study and pass <laughs> yeah. chemistry. And you were yeah. like, well, I, I'm not diagnosing you, but you know, if you take that medication <laughs> and it helps you, that was an awkward it could conversation. Be. Yeah, but I mean, that kind of goes back to the stigma mental illness. Yeah, like, you yeah. know, people don't want to be labeled, and yeah. the moment you're on medications, you're officially that yeah. illness. Yeah, no, it's know. sad. It's yeah, sad. but it, it was a strange one. But you know, I just took it and it helped me focus. We're like, well, yeah, that's I was interesting. much more organized. I'm yeah, like, talk all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So we have another question. We have okay, two great. more for this episode. We have one from Patrick from California. Patrick P. Are law enforcement officers required to carry a gun? I mean, I, I'll what answer that. What do you that. think? I think um, in this country, probably most law enforcement officers are required to carry a gun. It's my guess. What are they required by, you think? Probably by their department. Yeah, because I was going to say, when I when I got this one, you know, I, I definitely did not research this one. Okay. But. Yeah, we didn't research any of these <laughs> yeah, questions, which maybe we should. <laughs> but you, so you were sworn in, and you're given the authority to make arrest. Mm-hmm. But there is no state statute, at least here, or anywhere I can think of that says you must carry a firearm. Probably all the state statutes say is that you're allowed to use deadly force. Right. And, and that's it. Yeah. There, there the are assumption states, is that means you carry a Yeah, firearm. there's state statute for, you know, liability on law enforcement and different, mm-hmm. like running code, like lights and sirens and breaking the speed limit. There's, there's got to be state that. statutes that you're allowed to carry a gun. I'm, I wonder. I mean, it, Probably, but We're see, in this get state, sued now. Well, no, no but, law saying you but can in carry New Mexico, gun. we don't Anybody have gun control. Carry guns, yeah, so it, it doesn't. So in other so states, some states probably, it probably does. Guarantee yeah. there's probably like non-open carried laws. The only one that's allowed to have guns in places right. is law enforcement. Yeah, 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 that would make sense. But required to, like, the moment you take this oath, you you always have to have a gun. I don't think that's a but law. if there were any officer here that said, "Show me the law that I have to carry a gun. I'm not carrying one," they'd be fired. Right, because I was going to say what you said, mm-hmm. which departments require it. Yeah. There's certain equipment standards that departments give you. So they say in order to be a police officer or police officers while on duty must carry X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Like handcuffs. Yeah. You know, you must always have a, a set of handcuffs and your firearm and an extra firearm magazine. Mm-hmm. These are requirements for you to work or you get in trouble. So that's what's that's normally out department. there. Interesting. Because there's mean, some departments that you – have the arrest authority, but you can't carry a gun. Really? Can you think of any time that that might happen? The only place I can think of is, oh, you mean animal control? No. England? No, here in the United States I'm talking. Not animal control. Not England. Well, animal control's not sworn. They can't arrest. Right. At least here. Some some states they can. There's a police department where you're Not here. In the United States? Yeah. It's quite a few. Really? A lot of sheriff's departments. Really? They don't because they guns? work in the jail. 
So oh, you start that's off, right. you okay. get sworn that was in. Sort of a trick. Question. Yeah. So you have arrest authority, but you start off in the jail. But you don't carry a firearm while you're working with in custody like that. That's interesting. And so you do your time there, and then you work – when you go to the streets, you have a requirement to carry a firearm. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. We've we've had different people – I know struggle with the idea of carrying a gun. Yeah. Or having a gun all the time and in their house and things like that. Because everyone thinks – and I know here it's a big gun culture in New Mexico. It is a whole state. And other states are the same way, Texas. Um but not every officer is a big gun nut. They're not all yeah. loving their guns. And some of them are like, well, <laughs> yeah, I like to pet it. I look at it. I name it. I'm like, howdy there, little lady. But, uh, you know, not all of us love guns. Yeah. We just don't. So some officers, it's like, oh, it's just a tool for the work, for the job. That's how they look at it. It's yeah. a tool. Most you know. officers have guns and carry guns off duty, and at least here. It seems that way. Yeah. But not all. No, it, not all. Definitely not all. So, I mean, it, and I think that has been a struggle. I remember in my academy class, there was an officer, um, well, I guess a cadet at the time, that did not want a gun. He asked to leave at the academy. Okay. He asked if when he became an officer, if he could leave at the substation. And I think, you know, he just didn't trust guns around his children or his family. Yeah, he just yeah, didn't yeah. want it. He Eventually, he, you know, he decided this wasn't the job for him after he became an officer. Okay. And it could, that could have been part of him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. But I would think if you are interested in becoming a law enforcement officer, think about you will probably the majority of your time have to have a firearm on you. Yeah. So if that's something you're not comfortable with, like you're scared of firearms, you don't feel safe around them or them in your home, it may not be your career choice that you should choose. No, I remember a good friend of mine um, from psychiatry residency, she was in the Air Force. And when she started, they're like, you have to be willing to kill somebody. Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, and it took her back, and she thought about it, and she's, she's like, yeah, if I have to and for the country and for defense, I will do it. I guess that's true because if you went into the military, even if it was a doctor, yeah. at any point, yeah, if we need yeah, soldiers, yeah. Yeah, if they need you to go to war, they're going to pull whoever. I mean, yeah. that's probably very unlikely. Unlikely, but that, it's but the mindset of it. Yeah. yeah. So that was interesting. Same idea with cops. You have that. to be willing to do that. And that is always the struggle, I yeah. would say. That there's a lot of people when they reach that point in training uh-huh. and it gets to the point of like you might have to take someone's life um, or use deadly force or you might lose your life. A lot of people quit then. And then it becomes them. real. Yeah. It's a scary thing yeah. to think about on it. So here's one from Ben in New Mexico. Oh, okay. Are you ready? What is this is definitely a medical one. Okay. What is the difference okay. between the initials M D and D O? When oh, referring okay. to doctors. All right. One is a medical doctor, so they go to... Which one would that be? MD. Oh, hence the medical doctor. <laughs> yeah. So one's... I mean, they're both medical doctors, but one's... It stands for medical doctor. Okay. So that's the more traditional route, and that's the majority of people who are doctors are medical doctors. Um, and it's just a, based on a very traditional training mod, uh, way. And you, you do a... Re- then afterwards, you do a residency. Okay. Um, and then there's also doctors of osteopathic medicine. And that's D.O. D-O. And so How about quickly, in case someone's listening, if they're like, oh, well, I hear doctors of mental health have a Ph.D., what is that, too? That's a psychologist. Okay. So that's not medical? That's not medical. Okay. That they, they get generally six years of training after college. They have to write a long dissertation, defend their dissertation, which is just a long paper. Uh, they usually have to do some research. Some of them are clinical psychologists, so they don't have to do as much of that. Um, 
and there are a few states that allow them to prescribe, and they have to take extra right. training for that. But I believe they're mm-hmm. they have a limited amount of medicines they can use, and they have to be under the supervision right. of a medical doctor. But having that, just in case you guys are listening, doesn't mean that you even practice mental health care. It could be you're just a res- that you do research. Oh, if you too. have a PhD, right. you so can get I mean, a PhD in history or education or right. anything. You so just be, be aware of it. It's not necessarily saying it's counseling type things yeah. or mental health. It could be research and it could be a professor sort of saying something. Yeah, and that you could someone could say, I'm Dr. So-and-so, right. and unless you know they're an MD or a DO, they could be a doctor of astrophysics or ants or biophysics or yeah absolutely sorry to get you sidetracked but i figured someone might be like well i heard this is a doctor yeah so those are doctors and psychologists are doctors phds usually who are in the mental health field so do i believe it's also four-year training after college but they just have a slightly different um focus i think it's a little bit more clinical and I think it's – I don't know that much about it. And I think it's a lot more based on the musculoskeletal system, uh, which is a good thing. We don't get that much in medical school. Like we well, don't learn why. That? What so, do you mean by that? Like like what people would think of chiropractic. Okay. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, but they learn all the basics of medicine too as far as I know. And then, uh, and then the big chunk of all of our training, people who are practicing doctors in this modern society have to do a residency, which lasts at least three years. And so DO longer. has to do the same? Yeah. The same type so of residency? I, you know, let's say I graduated medical school and someone down the street graduated as a DO from osteopathic school. We could both go to the same residency. Actually, I had a resident who was a DO with us, and he was very good. And you guys did the same residency? Same exact stuff. We had the same exact prescribing power, same exact everything. Is there a limit to the type of medicine a DO can practice? Like no. Could, you have a surgeon that's a DO? Yeah. As okay. far as I know, they can do everything. They just apply for residency like anybody else. So just as kind of a different uh, education path. Yeah, that leads to a residency, absolutely. Interesting. I yeah. know that uh, if you guys are members of the CIT Echo, one of the hub members, um, Dr. Duhigg, I know he has a DO. Yeah, that is correct. I know he was going to put my rib in place because he said he understood how ribs worked when i thought i dislocated a rib did you really yeah do you not remember that because you're like i'm not gonna help you that's I'm exactly how i said it and i won't did he? he did this did to he yourself relocate your rib he wanted me to wait until like a uh, over a certain period that's like when i'm pretty sure i fractured my rib it was out for a while when you fell on your bike yeah yeah that sucks when you say like, when you fell on your bike it makes tricycle. it sound yeah that's what it sounds like <laughs> oh you fell on your little bicycle <laughs> you know what I give this my is, children isn't that what happened yeah. <laughs> I give my children band-aids for that that's interesting <laughs> you're just whining about your ribs <laughs> well that's a good question yeah yeah, and it, you know I think that kind of at least in law enforcement it seems to come up a lot really yeah at least they ask me I, think I remember people, the first time I saw D.O. I'm like well yeah what is that and I'd already been to medical school I was like well, what is going on here who is this dude right here <laughs> what is the I do I will have to say that and there's that, so many acronyms yeah that I don't know there's D.O.M. That's D, doctor of oriental D.O.M. is doctor of oriental medicine which is kind of cool can they practice the same medicine no. or no no that's like that's like uh, acupuncture and herbal okay. stuff because I feel like what you just said like there's tons of acronyms yeah, and so even many. like if there's an MD, it's like an MD and then 80 other acronyms behind it. There are not that many prescribing uh, acronyms. There's DO, MD, um, I think in some states, psychologists, so PhDs okay. and PsyDs, um, some nurses, so nurse like practitioner. Yeah, nurse practitioner was his NP. Um, 
and, and then sometimes I think they're CNP, like certified well, what's nurse. What's a PA? Because I thought that physician's assistant they can prescribe. Okay. And I think that's well. What's it. a different? I always thought that was the same thing as a nurse practitioner. No, they're different. One went to nursing school. One went to physician's assistant school. Oh, yeah. That goes my ignorance yeah. on that. I honestly thought that was the exact same thing. Like we had PAs in our medical school, so we would take classes, and every now and then they would sit in on some of the classes. So our training was four years of medical school. I think theirs was like two years. Okay. And then they they kind of start into their own residency right after that and huh. then they're on their own on their own under the supervision of a doctor wow so they basically like known. one of the best doctors i ever had was a pa yeah so she you know managed all my medical conditions and then if she had questions or she had to occasionally staff my case or all of her cases with one of the attendings there what do you think is growing uh in career fields a pa or a doctor you know i don't know right now i think they both are i don't know I always feel like it, it seems like it comes and goes. You always hear this, like, we're lacking nurses, or we're lacking this, or we're lacking that. I think right now they're lacking everything. I guess that's yeah. true. But Do you think the idea of going story. to school is changing? Do you think, like, this generation just doesn't want to go to school? Is that why we're lacking these positions? I don't know. I don't know the reason. Um, I expect you to know everything, Niels. <laughs> I, I think, I doubt it. I doubt this generation is doesn't want to do school any more than other people. I mean, women go to school graduate school more than men um and i think there are now more women graduating medical school than and residency than men um so i don't know if that doesn't really answer your question it's right. kind of interesting um i don't know i don't know the answer sorry i don't know if it's a supply Failed or demand me. i mean there could be just a bigger demand and they're still churning out the same amount of doctors no i guess because it's not like medical that. schools open up every day so, right. but the population just keeps going up and up. Right. So I don't know. So it's a good time to be in your position. As but a I mean, being a doctor is also nice because you could, you know, as a cop, you have to retire, and then you retire the next day. You're you're, you're a citizen just like everybody else. Right. With a doctor. Oh, you're once you're always, done, no, you are a citizen. I, mean, I will remind you of that. No, but you're you're always a doctor. Even yeah, if you let all true. your things lapse and you're you're not right. really practicing, you're still. If you read up on things, you still know all that crap. But so you can do almost everything you used to do before, right. except for maybe prescribe. But as a cop, you can't do almost everything. Citizens arrest. Yes. You come in. Citizens arrest. That's a good question we should put in there. Is that ex- is that a real thing? Does that exist? You know, I would need to do research. In Let's this state, write it does that not. down. We're gonna citizens put. arrest. Is it real? Is it real? If you let your license lapse because you retire, yeah. and let's say you did it for 10 years, and you're like, you know what? I miss it. I want to come back. Can yeah. you just do that? Or well, do you'd you have, have to reapply. You know, I think you'd have to take a, you'd have to reapply. You'd have to explain your absence. Um, I think you'd probably have to take an exam depending on which specialty you're in. Um, you'd have to get somebody to insure you. Uh, oh, would that be difficult, you think? It might be. I, I mean, I don't know. But it happens. People do stop and come back. Right. Or switch professions, yeah. But I think you'd have to just, you'd have to get board certified. And whatever right. that specialty is, you'd have to get certified in it. If you retired and, like, moved to some, I don't know, small camping town somewhere. <laughs> camping town? I don't know. Where everybody <laughs> camps? <laughs> like a small mountain town. Okay. That's what I have in my mind. Okay. So is that where you small, want to retire to? No. But you're in a small mountain town, like a hiking, fishing type like town. Like Durango. Yes. Okay. And, you know, all of a sudden people are like, oh, I need help. Can you prescribe medicine 
forever or you have to be no you have licensed. to you have to you have to be you have to have a controlled substance license even if it's not a controlled substance like some kind of penicillin i think you need a national prescriber's number identification number um you know i don't really know the answer to that i think you have to have a license yeah so well you, i was just thinking because my wife's watching some show and it's like some little mountain town I mean, you, and there's yeah. just some guy that's like oh he's a retired doctor and he writes scripts and all this. i was like can you just do that i think if he's got a valid up-to-date medical license right and yeah. you know tv shows and movies never yeah. lie. they never, never steer you wrong <laughs> but you yeah like if i didn't have to if i didn't care about insurance and getting sued if i didn't want to have a subspecialty board if I didn't want to prescribe any narcotics, as long as I have a medical license, I think I'd be okay to prescribe medicine. Yeah. Wow. Except for those controlled substances. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I never thought about it. I just want to say when I retire and you retire, I'm still going to try to arrest you. <laughs> just so you know. Like, remember when you told me I couldn't do this? It's yeah, happening. Chasing you around. <laughs> and I'll give you Haldol injections <laughs> as you're arresting you're like, me. like, oh, yeah, look what I can prescribe for you. Oh, God. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for listening. If you guys are enjoying this, please send us some questions at ask at gocit.org. And please share this podcast out with any of people you think might enjoy it. And if you guys have the time, please rate us on iTunes and leave us a comment. It really helps us. As you guys know, we do this voluntarily. Um, we try to push out as much information to you guys as possible to continue the education in CIT. And so it's nice to know when we got you guys listening and you're liking it. Coming up next will be a didactic or a lecture from the CIT Echo. If you guys are public safety and would like to join it, please send Jen Earhart an email at J-E-A-R-H-E-A-R-T at CABQ.gov. You can also check out more about that project at GoCIT.org. Anyway, guys, thanks for sending your questions. Talk to you later. Bye. Goodbye. So we're going to go over the refocus section of um, the pure model when it comes to just de-escalation and communication. Do you want to kind of recap what we went over? Yeah, so pausing and unite. Uh, pause really is just about, um, so this is, we also teach this to people in the medical field. Obviously, safety is first for everybody, cops and uh, people in medical. Uh, always try to get as much collateral information as you can before you go into a situation. You guys are aware of that. Uh, the really big thing about pause is just taking that split second or two to catch your breath, ground yourself, be aware of your own emotions, because it's your emotions that derail any kind of negotiation or interactions. Other people are going to have their reactions. They're going to be, they might fly off the handle, but it's really about how you react much more than what they do. Um, and then uniting is trying your best to get on the same page as somebody. So. Uh, active listening is an obvious way to do that. This says no surprises, and what that means is just telegraph as much as you possibly can. And I know cops do that very well. Even if you're arresting somebody, you know, I'm going to have to put the cuffs on you. You're going to have to sit in the back and you know, tell them what they're going to expect. You're going to go to the jail. This is what's going to happen. It just puts people at ease, and it's very respectful. Um, look for what really is motivating somebody, because that's they might be angry, and you think they're angry about one thing, but... If you really find out what's moving them, that's very important because you can't negotiate or get to the bottom of anything without knowing what um, is going on. Stating the problem is just a very simple technique. You just state the obvious um, and find goals that you agree on and then try to stay focused on those goals. And that's really what refocusing is all about. And then um, setting boundaries around yourself, which is hopefully self-explanatory.
Not literally. So we're going to go over refocusing. If I can get this to work. Yeah, how about this button? This button. How about yourself? That one. That is a, uh, an example of actual refocusing. Those are two cats with <laughs> foreground and background. And so you really can change the whole nature of an interaction by changing your focus on what you're looking at. Um, okay, good. So when it comes down to things, some of the stuff that's difficult is we have the tendency to get into arguments. And if you're truly trying to negotiate with somebody, you know, we as law enforcement and any kind of helping profession, I'd say, kind of have the ultimate control or say over things. So sometimes it's easier to, to build that rapport with somebody and convince them or get better cooperation if we can find a shared goal on it. Um, deflecting it and using it, your empathy and active listening and showing compassion goes a long way with this kind of stuff. Yes, I agree. So <laughs> trying to keep focused on shared goals as much as possible as opposed to arguing about a problem. So instead of arguing back and forth about, like if you're in a job negotiation, arguing back and forth about, you know, uh, $2,000, $5,000, whatever, uh, sort of arguing about what do we have in common? You want me to work here. I want to work here. Let's try to see how we can figure that out. Um, and then if someone is coming at you, triangulate just means literally looking to that, that third point in the triangle. So Matt and I are sitting here arguing about something. It's much better for us to shift our attention to a third uh, thing. So, and sometimes that's hard to do. I, I will literally use my pen. So and he, I always carry one with me. So I'll put it down on a table and argue at the pen instead of with the person. Sometimes it's very hard to catch yourself arguing though. And so try to figure out at that, your breaking point, your point of frustration that, that you start arguing with somebody and try to catch yourself on that or be aware of it at least. On it. Yeah, arguments can start very insidiously. And uh, it's a fancy word there. And, and that's why it's good to have somebody else to point it out to you. Like, hey, you know, it seems like you guys are not agreeing on a lot of stuff and try to help them out. Um, okay, so refocusing high emotions to make them productive. So if someone has, if someone's very angry, anger is just like any emotion. People often think of anger as something that is inherently destructive and, and bad. But really, anger is not inherently destructive and bad. If it weren't for anger, a lot of social change that has made this country great would never would have happened. It's how you use that anger and channel that anger uh, into something that's helpful. So in this case, if someone's very angry and they're angry at you because you're a cop, you can. this is a chance to do both of those techniques is to triangulate, so sort of step aside, because they might be angry at you and the institution and your uniform, and that has nothing to do with you um, as a person. And so trying to move their anger onto the problem, say, God, so your neighbors really are upsetting you. Uh, I can see how angry you are. You're angry at me and you want this done and you want to take care of these things. And, and we got to figure out how we can, you know, solve this problem, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Deflecting it to a third party is a huge way. And a lot of times people are angry at the idea of law enforcement and not necessarily you. And sometimes that's hard to agree with somebody like, yeah, I hate cops too. And I'm not saying for you to say that, but you can say it does suck, you know, that I have to enforce the law all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah, it does suck that every time I meet someone, I do have to make a decision if they go to jail or not. You can say that. You can agree to it. Or one thing that's happening a lot now that we hear a lot of complaints about is how long it takes. 
mm -hmm. when police calls for service. And that's something everyone could agree with. Be like, yeah, it sucks. We don't have enough cops. I feel the burden too. You know, I'm always pressured on this kind of stuff. And you, you just agree and kind of defer to that one point together. And that is a, like, working who's at the VA, somebody at the VA. A lot of people, patients are not thrilled with the VA and they'll go on and tell you about it. And then they'll start to get angry at you as a representative of the VA. But one way to deal with that is to say, you know, I work at the VA too, and it could be very difficult. And, you know, we're here, you and me in this room together, let's make the best of our time. So you can say, you know, APD is not perfect, you know, it, 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 but it's you and I are here and let's see what we can do. So what do you guys think the most common emotion felt by someone that we respond to is? I know if it's Dorian, it's probably love. Jay, come on, Cheryl, TPD. Yeah, TJ? I'm going to go ahead and say probably depression, uh, if so not anger. Difference? Depression and anger? That could be. That's her yeah, I mean, yeah. anyone else? Absolutely. Dorian Dixon, APD. I would say that I see a sense of hopelessness a lot with a lot of people who call us. Interesting. Okay. Hopelessness, depression. Anybody else? Dan Duhigg, I would think fear. Fear, fear. and anxiety. Those are good ones. And the and the fear. <laughs> this is but this is our arbitrary answer. This was actually originally designed for patients. So what do patients most commonly have? And that's fear. So if you go to a hospital, that's the most common emotion you're going to be feeling as a patient. And we just assumed it was true for uh, callers, but perhaps it is not. I think it all depends on, on how you, um, your definition of fear, I guess. Because I would say hopelessness and being afraid to me are kind of the same thing. I guess that's true. They can go together. I don't think anyone, if anyone's calling for law enforcement services because they're having a great day, it's a huge red flag for us. Something else is going on. We're like, they're about to murder everybody. <laughs> no one's like, hey, we're having a great day. Come visit us. Free cupcakes. It doesn't happen. I'm just telling you, it doesn't. This is yours. Yeah, no, I have nothing else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you guys get these kind of questions or comments, I should say. Uh, someone t says to you on a call, no one cares, you don't care. Or they say about a friend of yours, that person was terrible. You know, they didn't care. They didn't help at all. Uh, they, maybe they know that you're a friend or they more they often than not don't know that they're your friend. What do you guys say to those kind of things? This is to the group. Yeah, like that cop was horrible or something like that. Let's do the first one. No one cares. You don't care. Dorian Dixon from APD. Uh, one counter I've had to that one is I point out to them that me coming out there to help them shows that I care. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Saavedra with APD. One thing that I think works is instead of telling someone that you care, show your concern or tell them you're concerned. It's a lot easier for somebody to believe that you're concerned than it is that you care. Mm -hmm. I think care is, it's hard to believe that somebody that doesn't know you or hasn't known you can care about you, but you can show concern. And especially if you go there and you look and see what kind of, um, position they're in, you know, why they're down, why they called, you can always express concern. 
And I think it's easier for them to believe that. Yeah, that's great. Anybody else on the network or otherwise? How about the second bullet? Same question for the group. That person was terrible. They didn't do this, they didn't do that. I agree. First off, has that <laughs> happened to you? Have you? Has that ever happened to you? Somebody says that of someone that you actually respect. Or don't respect. About well, Matt all the time. Until <laughs> <laughs> we agree. Please announce your name. <laughs> no, honestly, has this not happened? Because if it never happens, we will remove it from our election. I think. I I have heard this happen before, uh, in especially in the same beat. Someone referring to they've called multiple times during the week, and they'll refer to another officer in the similar area. I just apologize for them not solving their issue. I don't really address them being a terrible person. I just apologize for them leaving that impression. And that's gone pretty well for me. Anyone else? I, I try in the hospital. I try to apologize and then ask them how we can make this a better experience so that doesn't happen again. Okay. Nice. I like that. Rob Garnand, APD. What what I do and what I've seen a lot of other officers do is say, you know, they apologize for the actions of that officer, but then they go even further and say, you know what, I'm not that officer today. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm completely removed from that situation. I'm here to help you. I'm here to listen to you. So you kind of recognize them and then you go into solution and, and fixing it. Yeah, uh, I think those are all excellent. And I think um, what makes these difficult is that we kind of know what to do, except uh, if it's a close friend of yours, the natural tendency is to argue. Oh, I can't believe he actually said that. Or he didn't really do that. Or he meant this. You must have misunderstood. And then before you know it, you're in an argument. So just be aware of that. It's such a, everybody falls into that trap. And it's the same if they, if you don't like that person. They're like, oh yeah, I can see that. Which is <laughs> equally as destructive. Um, so the best is these deflection. You know, I'm sorry you had that experience, so you acknowledge it. And then you move on. We're not, I'm not, that was in the past, we're here now. Let's see what we can do now. And that's why the big thing about now, because especially people with personality disorders want to focus their energy on this event and that event and give you a whole list of their uh, grievances and that's not really helping the current situation. And I think we do have to be aware of, you know, our culture hood of the thin blue line. It's easy for us to start arguing that our fellow coworker was right and that the people we're out with is wrong. And you just have to be aware that that's our natural go-to. And it's fine that that is our natural go-to, it's just not the best when it comes to trying to convince people to do what you want them to do. But wait, before you go further, these are just pat lines that I use, but I think developing your own knee-jerk patent line is very important for this, so that when it does come up, you don't get sucked into a, an argument or, or get caught off guard. So, you know, I say, if it's true, you know, I just met you, and then let's make the most of our time together. Let's not talk about the past too much. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm here now. Let's make the most of our time together. And that works very well, and that's kind of what you were saying. Uh, Okay, so refocusing high emotions. So keep yourself calm. This is a reminder sort of to go back um, to pausing. So that remember, it's your emotions 
not theirs that derail things. So we talk, we constantly talk about, you know, taking their anger and refocusing it on someone else or diverting it or triangulating, whatever language you want to use, which are very important, but it's really your own emotions that are going to screw things up. And just keep that in the forefront of your mind because that's where emotions go wrong because you so rarely as a human being, or we, I shouldn't talk about you, I, so rarely as a human being, check in with your own emotions and say, Am I reacting this way because I'm so angry? You, in, when, when someone's angry, they don't say, I'm reacting this way because I'm angry. They say to themselves, I'm reacting this way because that person's a son of a bitch. Right. That's why oh. that is. An a-hole? Language skills. So, so if you can say, you know, this, I, I, I think that sometimes you can even look at it opposite. I'm angry and I'm laying that anger on this person. And that's why I think they're a son of a bitch. Let me calm down and really get a better sense of what's actually going on. Does that do make have, sense? Do you have any tips on how to, how do you um, catch yourself in that? Because I think the difficulty, at least that I see with You with catch officers, a butterfly in your hand. Yeah, I know, then yeah. you eat it. <laughs> that's what I always say. Pull the wings rooms. off. <laughs> so, but, but I feel like in law enforcement, we have the tendency, like in our personal life, even if things are going bad, we don't take the time off for ourselves. We mm -hmm. want to be at work. We want to be busy. Sure. We want to get inundated with our line of work. And so a lot of times I think we bring these hidden emotions to these calls. Yeah. And I think it's the hardest part is uh, catching your own emotions. Is there any kind of... It's very difficult. I mean, you, it, I, I wish I had an easy answer. And I guess I do have an easy answer. It's just about intentionality. So you have to intend to do that. You have to periodically check in with yourself when emotions are high and say, okay, I'm, my emotions are high. I'm feeling this in my chest. I'm feeling this in my stomach. I'm feeling revved up. My muscles are tense. So you sort of do a quick scan of your uh, emotions and your bodily reactions to those emotions. Often it's easiest to check in with bodily functions because they're more, but I didn't say a word. I literally said nothing. Check Keep with bodily symptoms. Check in with your sensations. Bodily... Is that better? Yeah, check, check your body your sensations at work. Like people try to step away from your thoughts for a little bit because the thoughts are the fuel and the fire of anger. So if you're angry about something and you if you just keep going with your thoughts, you're thinking, this is why I'm angry. This person right. did this to me. This person did that to me. And you're just fueling it. But if you take 10 seconds to say, well, what am I actually feeling physically? and check in and you just have to make a habit of checking in every now and then and, and it's I th hard i think so i, I mean i'm who's sorry thank you very much <laughs> um, this is dan duhig um it, so this is something i work with on patients a lot um is so like we know like patients in chronic pain for example if they can't identify their emotions um it, it predicts a worse outcome in terms of pain management um, and people who are struggling with substance use disorders or addictions if they can't identify their emotions, then it's hard for them to uh, know when to kind of intervene that they're at high risk for relapsing and using. I would think that that um, people who are in the position in law enforcement, that it would be so important to like expand your emotional literacy. And what I do with people is I um, I print up those little, those little posters on the internet with all the different faces, all the different emotions on them, um, and encourage them to just use this to to practice identifying what they're feeling throughout the day. And I think one way to check in, like how much do I need to do that is how wide or how deep is your emotional vocabulary for yourself, right? So for example, if your emotional vocabulary consists only of angry, sad, excited, bored, 
So the, I mean, it's a great start, but those are four emotions and there are probably 80 more that, that you could have, right? Right. Um, and so I, I think it's, if, if you can self-evaluate in this way and, and you don't really, if you think, well, so embarrassed and nervous, those are the same, then maybe if you, if you think of a lot of emotional qualifiers as being the same, then maybe you could really benefit from expanding your emotional vocabulary. And I think we all can. I mean, this is something that I still do all the time. I'm not good with definitions. And so, um, but it's only if we can identify what's going on, can we then check in, right? right? And then we can know, okay, this is now I'm angry versus I'm jealous versus I'm frustrated versus I am just feeling kind of arrogant today. Like these are all different and we probably need to intervene in different ways. They're going to lead us in different directions. So we should make a check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's <laughs> essentially, <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. I think, you know, what, what if you notice that you're on a call and the person that, that's primary, the one talking is angry. How do you guys address that? Do you guys know of a tactful way to be like, Hey, let me take over communication or, just to address it, has anyone had this come up? I've had this situation, <laughs> this is Dwayne Dixon from APD. Uh, what I usually do is I just look for a, an opening in the in the conversation or the interview to step in, ask a question, and then I kind of take over the contact role. Uh, I haven't seen blown up, full blown out anger, but I do see officers who you can tell they're losing their patience, you can tell they're getting annoyed, and I'll step in before it gets to that point. Nice. Fairness. Yeah. Anyone else have a, a tip or recommendation on how to do that? I know I have difficulty, and I always say this, and everyone knows me for this now, but with elderly folks. Matt hates elderly. <laughs> I don't hate them. <laughs> I have a difficulty when it comes, I, I try to argue their delusions as not being, like they should know better, and that's bad. And there was one particular woman that I was arguing that, why were you calling police if they're switching your furniture with just the same furniture, but brand new, like that, you should be happy with that. You know, don't call the police for this. Like logically, why would someone want to do that? And Neil saw that I was getting upset. He's like, hey, Matt, uh, hey, Matt don't you need me to call in the kitchen or something? I was like, okay. He's letting me know, like, clearly I was just arguing with it. And then I look over at him and he's like, what do you mean you're not keeping a list of this stuff? And I was like, uh, and he's just like, man, we got to go. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing, like, unless it, it's important, like, you have to finish a call there. Everyone on scene is just, you know, some personalities get everybody, you know, up in arms and arguing. And if it's just simply like an informational report or just a welfare check, and there's, you know that it's not going to end in any kind of official police action of taking someone to the hospital, arresting, or even if it didn't need an official police report, sometimes it's okay to leave. If Absolutely. that person needs help, they're going to call back, or it's fine to go check on them again. You know, it's pointless for us to be out there and create a scene just to argue about, especially with delusions. It's so difficult. Absolutely. And don't eat the butterfly. Move, fo uh, move focus to a neutral third party. Uh, so this is one where, where it could be like, comes up a lot, like, why do I have to go in cuffs, especially for, let's say, a mental health eval? You know, and for me, I always, I don't take the ownership of that because it's my car and in my car you have to go in that. No, it's, it's the procedures and the policies of the department. Like, yeah, I know it sucks, but that's what we have to do. 
or even when it comes to stuff of making arrests and if people want to start arguing with the rest, for, for me, I don't just get in the fight with it of arguing and then it just ends up in a use of force because like stop resisting, you know, I'll say, well, I know it sucks, but this is what the law says is, you know, X, Y, and Z happen. And fortunately that says I have to arrest you, man. That sucks, but you know, be compliant and I'll let the courts know that or whatever it is on that. But referring to that, don't take ownership of that. Um, taking ownership of something it, it creates the argument that happens a lot. It, it's, you know, I'm telling you to stop with your music so loud, or I'm telling you you were speeding. Things like that is what creates arguments. People like to argue on that and, and challenge our authority. Okay. So can we hold on though? So Dan doing here. So, so at the top of this list, you have your boss, but are you suggesting that like people kind of name Hey, you know, Chief Eden, he says you, this, I got to do this. So it, it, that seems like a little no, risky to me because no. then people can focus on somebody with maybe, you know, their anger or violent intent. No, you're right. It's more like the system or, right. or uh, you know, if you're out there and why are you here? Well, you know, dispatch sent me. They, they, they're in charge of me. Or right. my sergeant told me to come visit you. I think those things are, that's sort of blaming your boss. Okay. Um, not kind of, kind of not please please right. <laughs> I, I could see you saying my my sergeant says I have twenty more minutes to spend here. Yeah, right. So can, let's make those really really good twenty minutes. I you know let's get beyond this and try to move on. Right. I could see that. Yeah. Being the boss. Other would be policy. It's just policy. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. <clears throat> So hooks and triggers are, are terms, and, and if you guys have taken our classes, we started incorporating now, I think throughout basic and advanced, it used to be just in the advanced classes of negotiations. But this is just terms we use for things that people like to talk about and things that make people mad that just piss them off. So hooks are, are clearly subjects, things that people like to talk about, and you should try to use those when you're trying to build enough rapport to convince someone to do something for you. And triggers are clearly things to stay away from. Um, that example of the woman that had called that, that Doc and I were getting in arguments with, I mean, she was really upset with their neighbors going in and replacing stuff. And I was just focused on the neighbors that was making her mad. Like, you know, why would they do that? You know, you should be happy that they're replacing your furniture. I was focusing on the things she didn't like instead of looking for the hooks of like grandchildren or family or activities that she likes and being like, Hey, when was the last time you went and saw your grandchildren? Or maybe they could help you with this stuff. Instead of looking for that, I focus on triggers, which just typically keep people enraged. And also, I mean, hooks and triggers, you guys are obviously all advanced here. Triggers also, you want to be aware of them because sometimes you have to investigate those things. So if you know that they hate their mom, but you still have to ask a few questions about it, you got to ask. So you can sort of be prepared. You can say, I know this upsets you. You can you can uh, try to mitigate that anger that you know you're going to get. but Again, just be aware that that's going to happen. And the best is just to say, you know, ma'am or sir, these are questions I have to ask. It's part of my job. I don't mean to upset you, but blah, 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 blah. And I think that is another important thing to know about triggers. Okay. So this is just uh, one other thing. So, so we teach refocus uh, a lot, and we teach this to the medical students also. And one thing that starts to happen is that it can start to feel futile. Like, okay, well, let's refocus back on the problem. And you do that for a second and then you derail and you go back to the problem. You're like going around and around in circles, especially with people who are psychotic or who are very headstrong. 
And so you try all the other techniques and you just feel like you're going around in circles. And these are just a few tips on how to deal with that. And so one is stating the problem, which is a good thing at any point. But now the problem is, I feel like we're going in circles. I feel like this is becoming futile. You know, th this is what we agreed to. Let's try to work out something positive instead of just going around in circles and, and reset up the parameters of the discussion of what is possible and what's not possible. And if it's, if you're just trying to establish rapport and it's just going around in circles, just try to change the subject completely. And this is something that you do quite well. No, <laughs> no, I would do well. I, I have difficulty sometimes following someone's logic sometimes, or I, I'm very much a person that likes to argue um, to try to figure out people's points of views. And, and if I'm getting to that point or we're just not getting anywhere, it's a subject I don't feel comfortable talking about, I will literally just change the subject. And whenever it comes to negotiations, I always use ice cream or I'll change like a food like, hey, what's your favorite ice cream? And it throws people off, but it helps me reset to um, what tactic I'm going to use or communication skills. And it, it helps me kind of refocus everybody that's there on the scene too to be like, what's going on? You know, we're, we're trying to take it. But I think staying the problem is one of the, the things we get out of. We get sucked into conversations and arguments and justifications with people. And sometimes we have to stop and be like, well, remember the reason I'm out here is because your music's too loud, not about the car burglaries or the, the neighborhood teenagers that are constantly running around, whatever it is on that, which, which people just constantly get us into. Sometimes we do have to just bring it back to that. And that's sort of like taking a timeout or a pause in the middle of the conversation. This is going nowhere. Let's talk about ice cream. And that actually works in a lot of contexts. It works in marital problems and couples therapy. One of the things they teach is if you're having fights and fights, it's like, okay, let's just take a break for 20 minutes, agree not to talk about this, and take a walk, come back, and it does wonders. And you can do that in a sort of micro setting in the middle of a negotiation, like what Matt is discussing. And hooks and triggers are just way uh, the same thing. It's to, if you're in an endless loop, move towards the hooks and, and try to talk about something useful. And that's it. And then educate is the last one, and we'll go over that sometime in the future.